Baruch Hashem. Welcome to all of you. Once again, glad that you're with us. And another Mazel Tov to Kolya. Beautiful job, beautiful word. Uh, so much, uh, if you, you know, I'd encourage everybody to go back and listen to it again. There was a lot of wonderful things that she was saying there. And it's amazing, amazing. Amen. Let's say our Baraka and get right in, uh, into what Hashem wants to continue to bring out, I should say, of the Torah portion today. Blessed are Yodonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of the Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are Yodonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. I would like to say, just real quickly, a mazel tov to our daughter Hadassah as her year anniversary for being here with us in Los Estados Unidos. So we are glad that you are here. We were scrambling on American Airlines to get here on the 25th of February last year, and so here we are. Anyway, I would like to say just how neat it is that I'm sure the tour portion with uh, Koya, Tetzavi is my tour portion as well, and it's uh, pretty neat. My wife and I were talking just last night as I was going through it yet again and, and talking about all the different things about this tour portion that speak to me personally, and it's just amazing. If you're not sure what your tour portion is, I encourage you to look it up. I encourage you to study it. I encourage you to just ask Hashem to show you things in it because it is amazing how... The Torah portion really does minister to our lives and speak to us on a very deep and personal level. This Torah portion is amazing. From start to finish, I can look at it and go, wow. Uh, of going back 20 years now and looking at the messages that Hashem put on my heart, what were my themes, uh, they're, they're right here in this Torah portion. It's just incredible. My favorite story, personally, just so I can share a personal story. I've, I've shared this many times. Uh, if you've heard it before, I apologize. But growing up, my mother used to tell me that, that her, my dad, and, and she wanted to name me Mark Anthony. <laughs> but um, uh, the, her, my mother's friends at work were making fun of that, saying that I would sound like a Caesar. And so growing up, I always kind of lamented the fact that I didn't have the name Mark Anthony. Because I just thought that was really a neat Caesar-like name, and I was, that kind of tells you where I was at at that point in my life. <laughs> So they decided somewhat arbitrarily to change it and just go with Mark Aaron. And so this tour portion being all about Aaron and about his clothing and everything about him, I just think that's really, really cool. Not to mention the fact that it has to do with the incense off altar, which we're going to talk about today. And the, the name Mordecai comes from the offering of myrrh that was included in the spices from Mar Deror and, and in, uh, in the... Um, Aramaic, it's Mordecai. So that's where the, uh, they, the sages say that that's where Mordecai is found in the Torah. In the Torah. It's right here. So Baruch Hashem, it's pretty cool, huh? I think that's neat. Just to go show you, like, like uh, Gail said, if you're wondering if God is eternal and he has a master plan, look at your Torah portion, okay? Because it'll, it'll uh, really bless you to do that. I would like to... Um, Turn, if you will, to the, the book of Exodus, chapter 30, because 
in the, in the time that we have today, I want to, Bezrat Hashem, reveal to us a secret. A secret that I believe that we can incorporate into our lives and see much blessing. How many of you know that every single word of the Torah, every single letter, every single uh, space, you know, they say about the Torah, by the way, that the letters are the black fire and the letters that you don't see or the spaces or what have you are the white fire. So right, so right from the beginning, Hashem, um, he solved the, uh, he solved the uh, discrimination or segregation problem. He said he had white fire and black fire together in the Torah scroll. Nice. Nice. So there you go. There's, <clears throat> so I'm just saying, you know, so he had white fire and black fire together in the Torah scroll. So, but the point is that everything, everything means something unique, something special. You, when you look at Hebrew words, because Hebrew is the divine language, you have to look at the way that they're written. You have to look, look at the, where their placement, the gematria we talked about, or Kolya talked about it. That was amazing, by the way. Yeah. That's, that's really amazing. Uh, all of these things, but I wanted to say that all of the things that the Torah commands us to do are equally spiritual. So in other words, if Hashem, let's read, let's read the Torah portion. It says here in, verse, in uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 1, you shall make an altar on which to bring incense up in smoke. Of acacia wood shall you make it. Now, right there, we learn several things. First of all, there is a reason why Hashem chooses acacia wood to make not just this altar, but also the Ark of the Covenant and other things. Why acacia? Acacia wood is unique in that it was in, uh, in historical terms. Uh, we know this from Egyptian writings. Acacia wood was ground up into a powder-like form and was used for medicine. Wow. So acacia was believed to have healing properties. Acacia wood was also impervious to rot and decay because my holy one will not see decay. It was impervious to bugs. It just had a natural qualities like that. Acacia wood also had another unique property in that uh, it grows in arid places. So wherever there is seemingly desert, the acacia wood finds a place to prosper. And finally, acacia wood is a small bush. Some people think that the burning bush actually was like a, an acacia tree. The only, you know, the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people. The strange thing is, is that no one has been able to find any remains of a crucifixion victim except for one. Uh, uh, it is commonly depicted that the crucifix is a cross, but that is completely conjecture. We have no idea what it looked like. And the, the reality is, is that the crucifix, uh, crucifixion stakes that were used probably had an, a plethora of different ways that they were made. It could have been just a pole. It could have been a tree. It could have been a cross. It could have been an X. There's all kinds of different ways. No one knows. So to say it was a cross and that, that's exactly what it looked like is, is just, just kind of, you know, guessing. Um, but the only crucifixion victim we found or that archaeologists have found was in Jerusalem. They know it was a crucifixion victim because the Romans would use a piece of wood to uh, put against the, the ankles to draw, to put the spike into so that the wood would keep the spike on there so that the victim could not uh, pry his feet loose from the spike. And that piece of wood that was used was acacia. Acacia wood. 
And last but not least, acacia wood has big, long spikes on it, like thorns. And so it is possible that the crown of thorns that was made would not be like a Texas thorn bush. We don't have many bushes like that that have big thorns, but it's possible that they might have used acacia to make the crown of thorns because the thorns were so big and so gruesome looking. So these are just interesting things about, about the, uh, the, the ark, or excuse me, in this case, the altar. But why, why acacia? The other thing we know is that if God said to make an altar upon which you would bring incense, it wasn't just for show. It wasn't, it wasn't even for his benefit. Because God doesn't really need anything from us. He wants stuff from us, but he doesn't need anything for us. He existed before we existed. God existed before the universe existed. The, the blue screen effect is, if you, if you take, uh, 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 I like to use a rectangle, but if you take a rectangle, a box, let's say a shoe box, and you, you use this as an illustration at home and say, the shoe box is the universe. All of the galaxies that exist are inside the shoebox. You're standing outside the shoebox. You are like God. That's how God views the universe. To us, the universe is vast. There's galaxies and you know, Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk, you know, fly around in this galaxy and see all kind of stuff, right? Come on. And all of that's going on. But God is outside the box, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, outside the box looking at this universe that he created. He's not, he's not a part of it. He's in it, but not a part of it. But, he, but his existence causes it. And without his being, there wouldn't be a universe. So if he stepped away from the universe altogether, the universe would collapse because it would be in a, a vortex without his direct involvement because we draw our very being from him, which is why the apostle said, in him I live and breathe and have my very being. The very essence of every day, of every moment we have is Hashem. So when he gives us something like the Ketoret, it is not for his benefit. And we have to understand that this is a very spiritual activity that's going on here. And why did God's command for us the incense, the Ketoret, as we say, Ketoret, as we say in Hebrew? We find this in our Siddur, our Siddurim. It's part of the Korbanot, but part of the Korban offering. Uh, it says in this section, we, we begin reading um, in Exodus 30, 34 through 36, and also 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 come from this Torah portion. 34 and 36 come from the next Torah portion, Kitisa. It says, Adonai said to Moses, take yourself spices, stockte, onika, galbanum, spices and pure fragrances, and they'll be of equal weight, and you are make it into incense, a spice compound, the handiwork of an expert spice compounder. Thoroughly mixed, pure and holy, you're to grind some of it finely and place some of it before the testimony, the tenth of appointment, where I shall designate a time to meet with you. It shall be a holies of holies for you. It is also written, Aaron shall burn upon it the incense spices every morning when he cleanses the lamps, he's to burn it. And when Aaron ignites the lamps in the afternoon, he is to burn it. A continual incense before Hashem throughout your generations. Going back to chapter 30, verse 1, begin reading in verse 1, it says, You shall make an altar upon which incense, you shall bring incense up, up in smoke, of acacia wood shall you make it. Its length a cubit, its width a cubit, it shall be square. So this altar is completely square, unlike the altar in the, in the court. This, this, this altar is achad. It's all one form, one shape, equal, equal parts. 
and its height is two cubits, and it shall have horns on them. You shall cover it with pure gold, its roof and its walls all around its horns, and you shall make for it a gold crown. Say gold crown. Make a gold crown. This is one of three crowns in the base of Mikdash. Make for it a gold crown all around. You shall make for it two gold rings under its crown, and on its two corners you shall make on its two sides, and that shall be for a housing which you, you shall use to carry it. You shall make the stays of acacia wood and cover them with gold. You shall place it before the partition, that is the parochet, that is by the ark of the testimony tablets, in front of the cover, that is the testimony tablets, where I shall make my meetings with you. Upon it shall Aaron bring the spice, incense, of pup, and smoke. Every morning when he cleanses the lambs, shall he bring it up in smoke. And when Aaron kindles the lambs in the afternoon, he shall bring it up in smoke. Continually, a continual incense before Adonai for your generation. Say continual. We can still bring the incense today, but in a different way. You shall not bring it upon, you shall not, say not. You shall not bring upon it alien incense. I want that to settle into your spirit a little bit. Because God here is saying that you cannot bring alien incense upon my inner altar. Or an elevation or meal offering, nor may you pour a libation upon it. Aaron shall bring atonement, say atonement. Atonement upon its horns once a year from the blood of the sin offering for the atonements. Once a year he shall bring atonement upon it for your generations. It is holy of holies to Adonai. Did you hear that? Hashem is saying that the Ketorit offering is the holy of holies for him. The holy of holies for us is going beyond the veil into the throne room of God to, to uh, experience the ark and the Shekinah glory of God. But the holy of holies for him is the Ketorit offering. That's his holy of holies. Oh, come on. You're not listening to what I'm saying right now. Our holy of holies to get into his presence is to go beyond the veil into the holy of holies where his Shekinah is. But his holy of holies where he gets into our presence is through the Ketorit. Do you know that God wants to be in our presence? We, we desire to be in his presence, but Hashem desires to be in our presence. You know, many of, uh, many of you know that my, my wife and I, are, all of us, I guess, I'm saying it's my wife and I, my daughter too. We all have little dogs, right? We have little dogs. And we had a guest over at our house many years ago, and he was just, uh, just, uh, tickled about the little dogs and how they, wherever we were, they would, they would come be with us in that room. If we changed rooms and went to another room, they'd want to come sit on the couch with us. If we got it from there and went to another room, they'd want to sit on the couch. They, they weren't content just sitting on their dog bed or, or being in another room like, hey, y'all, go watch TV. We're going to be in here. And he said, you know, it's, it's interesting. He said, it's like your little dogs. They just always want to be in your presence no matter where you're going. This is like how we are with Hashem. We always want to be in his presence. This is why Moshe said, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us up from here. But God wants to be in our presence. He desires for us to create an environment in which he can dwell because he longs to be in our holy of holies. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. This is why Hashem wants us to live holy lives. It's not for necessarily for his benefit, it's for our benefit. Because when we create holy space, he indwells that space and brings the benefit. Amen. 
This is why it's so important to have a kosher home. This is why it's important to follow the mitzvot. You say, well, is it about salvation? No, you're missing the point. It's about the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. Don't you want to be a base Migdash on the earth for God's presence to dwell? Or are you just looking for a ticket to the Shemayim? And I'm, I'm not the judge of all men, but I'm going to lay out my opinion on that matter I just said. If your heart is, oh, I, just, I don't really care. I just want to know that when I die, I go to heaven. I'm going to throw out an opinion. Don't say that God said this. I'm just throwing my opinion out there. I'm not so sure that that's going to fly in the court of heaven. I'm not so sure that when you get there, God's going to go, you know, I know that you didn't give a care about me in the world except for the fact that when you die, you want to go to heaven. So, hey, well, come in, my good and faithful. Well, I can't say that. Come in, my good and not so faithful. No, not good. Let's see. Um, come in, my, my get out of hell free card uh, participant. Welcome. And besides that, I don't know. We talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. Since when do we train to be mediocre? You know, when somebody, when somebody comes over to your house and they, they bring you a, a fine bottle of scotch. I don't know about, see, you'd have to be kind of a messed up person. If when you went over their house, you didn't think about a way in which to bless them with something nice. You know? Somebody comes over your house, they bring you something nice. And so you go in your house and you're getting ready to go to their house. And they brought me a fine bottle of scotch. And your wife says, well, honey, we're going to go to their house this week. What can we buy them? Oh, I don't know. Let's get to some Mogan David. I mean, you know, because it's easy to get. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It's just, you know, that's, that's, that, so, so God, God pours out his life for us. Yes. Thank you, and we bring, we're bringing him some Mogan David. Amen. Right? And he's like, no, no, no. You got to create a holy space because he wants to make his presence with us. Tetzave, by the way, uh, tet, the word Tetzave means you will command. You will command. But the word also means, interestingly, because it has to do with commandments, you will connect. You will connect. So we look at this, this portion and we, we see a very interesting uh, paradigm shaping up here because as, it, as the uh, writers of the K.O. Tumash bring down that, that God's desire for us, the reason that we have this portion where it talks about uh, dropping the priest in the middle of the sanctuary, and this is what he's going to do, is because this is like the, the, the uh, Kolya brought, brought this out, that the, the Beis Hamidash is like, like God's creation. That initially in his creation, he created the world, and then he put man in the middle of the garden so that man could tend, could minister to the world and create a holy space so that God could be there taking his strolls with man in the, in the cool of the evening. You know, the cool of the evening, like Minka time, like Katorit time, right? He wanted man to be there at that time. He, and so man sinned, and so the world's a mess, and so what does God do? He creates another holy space, and he puts man in the middle of that space and says, now, tend my garden so that I can come and walk with you in the cool of the evening. 
And this is what we're trying to do. We, we want to have this Tetzalvi attitude where we connect with God. And I'm, this is the secret of the Ketorah I'm trying to illustrate to you today. The word Corbin means coming close. That's good, right? Coming close. We, when we offer up a, a Corbin as a sacrifice, when we offer up a sacrifice, it's not the Gentile way. It, that's the, the way that Gentiles think about sacrifice is we are giving up something to appease an angry God. God is angry, and therefore we're giving up something to appease him. This is why they would take their virgins and throw them into the volcano because the volcano was raging. They thought God was, that false God was mad, so they would give a sacrifice. They would lose something. But in fact, when we give an offering, we're not losing, we're gaining. In Hebrew, the word Korbanot or Korban means to draw close to God. So the way, when we give God an offering, he's not subtracting, he's multiplying in our life. And we're not trying to appease an angry God. We're trying to take care of our own messed up situation so that we can grow close to a God who desires our presence in his life. Do you see the difference? It's not that he's angry with us. I mean, he is in a way like a, a father who's disappointed and angry, but the point is that we're not trying to appease him. We're trying to fix us so we can get close to him. Yes. And by the way, he gives us the offering to do that. He gives us the means to do that because I just want to emphasize he wants to come into our holy of holies. He's looking for that moment to come into our presence he wants that veil ripped away so that he can come in to our presence, so to speak. Ketorit means, the word ketorit means a means of binding. Now listen to this. Corbin draws us close, but, but you know, you can come over here and you can be close to the veil. The veil, by the way, is God's garment. You can be close, you can draw close to the veil, but here's the secret of Ketorit. The secret of Ketorit is when we offer up the Corbin, we draw close, but when we offer up the Ketorit, we become one with the, with the veil. We weave, we get woven into the veil. Y'all are nowhere near excited. Like you need to be about that. When we offer up the Ketorit, we bind ourselves with God. You know, the, the Kehol Humash comments on this, um, why, it's, why, why the difference? And I, it uses this illustration, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ad lib to it. Basically, it's like this. When we're offering up the Corbin, that's on the outer court. We do that in front of everybody. Everybody sees us bringing the offering. Oh, it's a big fanfare. There's a big flame. People are just trumpets. The Levites are, are singing on the platform. There's lots of stuff going on. I mean, it's lots of joy. You know, there's lots of prayers. Everybody's looking. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you offer up the Ketorah, the priest is all by himself. No one's allowed to be in there. He's all by himself offering up that. There's no music. There's no trumpets. There's no one looking on. There's no fanfare. There's no drama. It's just you and Hashem 
offering up that offering. And this is why it's a higher offering. And this is why you get, you bind, you get bound with Hashem. Because he says, listen, you can draw close to me out there when you're doing it in front of everybody. That's great. Let your light shine before me and I'll see what you're doing. But how are you behind closed doors? Because when we really connect with Hashem is when we're offering up that katorit and there's not anybody looking at us. We're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to get a reward for mom or dad or friends or rabbi or zakanim or whatever. But we're offering up that katorit. God says, that's my holy of holies because I know that you really long for me like I long for you. That's the power of katorit. So it says here, the katorit transforms us from being separate beings who are able to host God. Get this, man. Someone says, I want the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I want more than that. Somebody says, I just want, I want to know Yeshua so I can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No, I want to know his holy Torah because I want to go beyond. Go beyond. Go beyond. Listen, listen to this. It's so important. Katorit transforms us from separate beings who are able to host God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, into beings that are no longer separate but one with God. We got a whole lot of people that believe in the Messiah, and maybe I'm not going to judge the truthfulness of their spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that to God. But they're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, great. But, but they've been trained and taught not to follow the Torah. And as a result, they can only be a host, but they can't become echad. God wants to be echad with us. And when we begin to follow the Torah, then he, we create a sanctuary in which he can permeate everything. But when we just believe in him, we're a host, but we're not echad. He doesn't want us to be separate. He wants us to be one with him. This is what Yeshua was trying to say when he says, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you, just like my Father abides in me. He's saying, come on, that's different than just being a host. He says, my, my, my Father and I are one. In fact, we're so much one, you can't tell us apart. And so you say, well, is he God or not God or blood? If the reason the blinds are so blurred is because there's such a oneness there, it's hard to tell the difference. And God wants that for our life. And we can't do that by putting alien incense on the altar. See, King Saul thought that, that, that doing most of the Torah was good enough for God. And God says, maybe that's good enough for people that are peasants, but you're my king. Right. And we all run around and say, we want to be kings and priests and Messiah. But we don't want to do, we don't want to, we don't want to rise to the level of a king. My family and I watched the movie Jeremiah the other night. It was kind of, you know, there's nothing random from God, right? I was looking for something completely different, Captain America. And, <laughs> and, uh. Not really, but whatever. I pulled this out, and I saw uh, this movie, Jeremiah, a DVD we had from years back, and, and I don't know that we'd ever watched it. And I thought, uh, just anyway, I said, hey, let's watch this. Whatever. So we did. And something that struck me was uh, the incredible price that a true prophet had to pay. And it made me sad for all the fakers and phonies out there that they're prophet this and prophetess that. And they're up there prophesying and they got these, you know, www.com ministries and everything. And what a bunch of jokers. 
<laughs> you look at what Jeremiah had to go through. What a bunch of, I mean, you, you might, snake oil salesmen, charlatans. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at, when you really, really study prophets, study prophets. By the way, everybody in Judea at this time is not keeping the Torah. Pretty much the only one is doing it is Jeremiah, maybe a couple of his, his friends. And everybody's prophesying their heart out. Everybody's prophesying. I mean, he prophets everywhere. Man, talk about Holy Ghost meetings. It's all over the place. But the only one keeping Torah was the true prophet. But anyway, I digress. So it says, he wants us to no longer be separate beings, but be one with God. The smell of the Ketorah transports us to the highest level of our being, where smell, I'm going to come back to that in a second. The smell of it, where we are virtually a part of our creator. This is comes, what I just read to you comes from a comment from the Kehol Tumash. The sages say that when Messiah comes, he's going to judge us according to our smell. Do you know why he's going to judge us according to our smell? Because smell is the only thing you can't really mask. You can fool the eyes and you can fool the ears. You can fool the touch. You can even fool the taste. But you can't fool smell. You can taste something that smells really, really bad. Like maybe a, a, a decomposing rat. And you can spray Lysol on it, and it smells like a decomposing rat with Lysol on it. <laughs> right? You can't. The only way. Now, I come. My dad was very much involved in, you could say, the cleaning business. Right? And I, was, uh, I did that business for a long time. And the only way to remove a foul odor is to remove the source of the odor. So isn't it interesting that God's holiest and, by the way, last offering of the day is the offering that has to do with smell. Because if you're, you can, see, here's the deal. You can, you can offer up the Corbin all day long, and that's, that's awesome, but that's not affecting your, your fragrance. The last offering of the day is the offering of the Ketorit. By the way, the first offering of the night is the menorah. So we offer up the fragrant offering, and then when we're going into the night of exile, we offer up the light of Torah. But you can't offer up the light of Torah until you've offered up the fragrance of the Ketorit. This is, by the way, comes from Yoma 15b, uh, 15a, excuse me, in the Talmud. So, but the menorah represents the light of Torah, and the Ketorit represents... For all effects, the glory of God, prayer, and most importantly, mediation of divine judgment. Now, this is a whole other drosh in of itself. But we had a long conversation, I had a long conversation with the Talmudim uh, the other evening about, um, it was, and somebody else brought it up, I think it was uh, Mikael brought it up, talking about Job. Job was a convert to Judaism and his life was poured out like, like the uh, scapegoat offering. But, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding over a lot of wonderful information, but we don't have three hours. So, um, what the deal is, is that Job married, according to the Midrash, Job married Dina, the daughter of Jacob. 
Okay, after her incident with Shechem, after that whole, and Dina's daughter from Shechem. It's so, so cool how God works, right? He's going to take a very bad situation and turn it for the good. He takes her daughter and he sends her to Egypt where she becomes the wife of Yosef, the, the granddaughter of Jacob. Dina, meanwhile, she doesn't know what to do. So God says, you know what, Dina, you always had a heart for bringing people to Hashem. In fact, that's what it means when it says that she went out to see the people and then she got kidnapped by uh, Shechem. She was going out to try to turn their hearts to Hashem. So Hashem says, you know, you, you, you always had a heart for that and, the, and Shechem took advantage of it. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something that's critical. I want you to go marry Job. And she did and she made him a convert. and He turned to faith in Hashem and then the whole life of Job happened. But Dina's name means judgment. We've been taking people and teaching them, not, I say we euphemistically, and teaching them about a grace message. Grace, 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 grace. God doesn't judge you. He loves you and all this kind of stuff. We've been withholding the Dina from them, and as a result, they haven't been getting converted. The sages say where there is fear of sin and fear of heaven, then the wisdom that is Torah learning will endure. But where there is no fear of heaven, that is fear of sin, then Torah wisdom will not endure. When you withhold judgment from people, that's fear. We've been telling people, oh, God's a fearsome God. But we don't mean fear that way. We just mean fear and like respect. No, I mean like fear. I mean like, like really fear him. Fear, be scared of God. I don't, listen, you'd have to be on drugs or something to stand in front of the heavenly court and not be scared to death. I know I will be. You say, well, don't you trust in Yeshua, brother? <laughs> yes, I do. And I will be holding on to the horns of that altar with a kung fu death grip <laughs> that even Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, and Uriel couldn't take up my hand. Oh, boy, you better, get, you better step on, boy. <laughs> and I'll be scared like everything. Because yes. you understand that myself and all of us, when we get to heaven, we have nothing to put on the table. You say, well, wait a minute. We have, these, we have merit. We have, we have Torah keeping. <laughs> Please. My little couple of pennies compared. You know, the knowledge that I have now is like a snowflake to an iceberg when it comes to God's Torah. That's what I have. So here we have God saying these things that he wants us to draw close and, be, and this is the mediation of divine judgment. What does this mean? It means the sages taught you when the glory of God came down in the holy place, whenever, you got to get this, right? Whenever God's glory comes down, that is his divine judgment coming down. Why? Because wherever his glory is, it, re, it I'm using that euphemistically, it realizes that it's in an environment in which it's not worthy of it. So it, by, by extension, brings judgment. Because none of us can compare to the light. So therefore, we're judged by the light in as much as we are short of it. Whereas Adam was the same light as God. <clears throat> but we fall short of that light. Even in our fleshly condition, we fall short of that light we will not be completely perfect in the light. 
until we have our glorified bodies and then we will be like him and we'll be known even as he is known. Right? So when the judgment comes down, we need something to cloud the judgment. And this is the Ketorah. Now, every, every offering is, is Yeshua. You understand that, right? Every offering is Yeshua. So when we offer up the Ketorah, what we're really offering is offering up another aspect of the Mashiach so that he can smell himself in us. This is the secret of Ketorah. So, by the way, Keturah's name is based off of Keturah, by the way. I just, made, I just kind of popped in my mind when I said, almost said Keturah, but Keturah, just because it's connected. Just, this, this is the second wife of Abraham. So, when we offer up this Keturah, we are offering up that which clouds God's judgment. How do we know this is true? Because when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a, once a year, how did he enter in? He entered in with the cloud of Keturah. Some people say, and I don't know, this, this is an opinion, because some say that the, the parochia was such that you could, you could walk and weave your way through it because there's actually two. Some say it was one big piece, and some have suggested that when you have the Keturah incense in your hand and you're coming in, how did he enter into the holy place? How did he move the veil back? And some suggest that it's possible that he went through the veil you know, because it's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one come to the Father except through the veil. And how did he go through the veil? With the cloud of Keturah. Why? Because when you have the cloud of Keturah, you become one with the veil. You're bound into Hashem. Ramban says, and this is the spirit that was given to Moses, our teacher, by the angel of death, that the burning of incense can stop divine inflicted plagues. That comes from Shabbos 89a. Also, Rashi says that to Bamid Bar 1711. As it says, they shall place incense before your presence. The word presence is af. It can mean face, hence presence, but it can also mean anger. Or nose. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Or nose, like a smell. So we have, there's so much to offer, to, to offer no pun intended, to say... <laughs> about this on the Hasidic Insights. But the incense, so how do we offer up Ketorah? Or why would we? The, the re, the, what are, what Ketorah ultimately are our prayers. We know this for, because the book of Revelation says, and in the midst of the throne, the four living, this is by, by the way from Revelation 5, 6 through 10. And in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, I saw a lamb standing as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of ketorit, which are the prayers of the holy ones, ketoshim. And they are singing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you, for you were slain and by your blood you redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made for them a kingdom of God and a Kohen, Kohenim. And they shall reign upon the earth. It says in Revelation 8, 
1 through 5. Now when the Lamb opened the seven seals, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood on the altar holding a golden incense of keturit. And he was given much keturit to offer up along with the prayers of the Kodeshim upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the Kodeshim, that is the holy ones, rose before God from the angel's hand. So the, the Ketoret represents our prayer. And the sages taught that because this was such an amazing thing, we know from Scripture that when a plague broke out in Israel, the way in which David stopped the plague, or excuse me, that Moshe had stopped the plague, was to have Aaron offer up incense in the midst of the plague. So the sages teach that when we recite the carbonate offering of Ketoret before Shakarit and also before Minka, that when we do that, we are offering up a, a cloud of incense which brings salvation, as it were, to the world and stops the plague. Why? Because we're priests and kings. We, so what I'm, what I'm telling you is that when we offer up our prayers to include this section I read from the Corbinot service of the incense offering because that, the sages taught from antiquity, was, a, was an auspicious time to turn away God's wrath from the world. Incidentally, the priests were only given one opportunity to offer up incense in the holy place. There were so many priests, for one, that you, 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 you were given once, you had, a, you had a role, you had to take a lottery. If you won the lottery and you offer up the incense during that time, then you were all, all for always and forever removed from the lottery. Wow. And then the next priest group came and it, so that everybody, A, could have a chance, but it was only one chance. Why? Because it was such a sacred offering. It was, a, it was aside going into the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could do, this was something that any priest could do, but it was, it was a, the opportunity to come to God before God, to offer up your private prayers along with the incense offering for, for, for Kalal Israel. And it was also taught that every priest that offered up the ketort on the altar would become a wealthy man. And as a result, the, say, the, the, the Kohanim said, we want all the priests to be wealthy. So we want to give everybody a chance to offer up the incense. Therefore, if you have offered it up before, you will not offer it up again so that your brother Cohen can have an opportunity to become wealthy. This is why Moses said, I wish that all would prophesy. I want everyone to become not just a vessel for the Holy Spirit, to be, become one with the Holy Spirit and to become a true, truly wealthy in your life. So we know this. We take this for face value. That when we offer up Ketorah, that is a, way in a means in which God is bringing wealth into our lives. You say, well, that just sounds hokey and ridiculous, Rabbi. Good, then don't do it. I mean, I'm, I can't convince you out of, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to teach you. I can lead you to the water, but only you can drink it. Rabbi Yochanan said there were three crowns. There were three crowns on the sacred vessels in the temple. The crown of the altar, the crown of the ark, and the crown of the table. The regal appearance they provided symbolized power and authority. The crown of the altar symbolized the crown of priesthood. Aaron was deserving and took it. Now, hold on, we're going to get to a qualifier. 
Because to offer up the incense offering, you just can't be, you just can't, as we used to say in the service, diddy bop into the holy place and offer up, offer up Ketorah. Aaron was able to offer it up because he was deserving of it. But what made him deserving? We're going to learn in a second. And the priesthood continues exclusively through his descendants. The crown of the table symbolized the abundance and blessing associated with the crown of kingship. David was deserving and took it for himself and his descendants after him. The crown of the ark symbolized the crown of Torah. It is still sitting and waiting to be acquired, and anyone who wishes to take it may come and take it and be crowned with the crown of Torah. Perhaps you will say it's inferior to the other two crowns. That's why nobody taken it. Therefore, the verse states about the wisdom of Torah, through me, kings will reign, Proverbs 8.15, indicating that the strength of the other two crowns are derived from the crown of Torah, which is greater than all of them. So how do, we, how do we take the three crowns of the tabernacle? We take hold of the three crowns of the tabernacle through the observance of the mitzvot, but it's these three crowns that we're going to cast at the feet of Yeshua when we say we're not worthy of these crowns. So if you want a crown to cast, the crown to cast is the Torah crown, which gives you the crown of the Ketorah and the crown of table of showbread. But why was Aaron deserving? So it says in the, in the Avod, as I quoted earlier, if one has a fear of sin, or that is a fear of heaven, then his wisdom, which is Torah learning, will endure. But if he does not have a fear of sin, his Torah wisdom will not endure. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, what is the meaning of that which is written? And this is the Torah which Moshe put, Psalm, before the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 4, 44. The word Psalm is written with the letter Sin and means put. It is phonetically similar to the word psalm written with the letter psalmic, meaning a drug. This use of the word therefore alludes to the following. If one is deserving of the Torah, excuse me, if one is deserving, then the Torah becomes a potion, a psalm of life for him. If one is not deserving of the Torah, a potion of death for him. And this is the idea of what Rava said. For one who is skillful in his study of Torah and immerses himself in it with love, it is a portion of life. But for the one who is not skillful in his studies, it is a portion of death. Perhaps this is what the Apostle Shaul meant when he said in Romans 7, 5 through 6. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions that came to the Torah were working in our body parts to bear fruit for death. But now that we've been released from the law of sin and death, having died to what can find us so that we serve in the new way of the Ruach and not in the old way of the letter. In other words, if we're going to offer the Ketorah, we're all by ourselves. It's just us and God when we're in the holy place offering up the Ketorah because this is God's holy of holies. There's no ulterior motive here. There's no show. There's nobody to fake out. I mentioned that Ketorah brings wealth. If, you, if you've come for the gold, it's going to be like Pirates of the Caribbean for you. It's going to turn into a curse for you. But if you've come for the heart, God asked Solomon, he said, what, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want, I want to be faithful in judgment and I want wisdom. And God said, because you've not asked for long life or wealth or for your enemy's head, not only am I going to make you wise, I'm going to make you the wealthiest and wisest, most amazing king that ever walked the face of the earth. See, when we come to that Ketorah place, if we want it to have the effect, then we've got to not even be thinking about that. We've got to be thinking about, I want you, God. 
See, that's the trick. So I've just told you what the secret of Katori is and how it affects your life and your family's life and even the world. But if we really want to have everything that I've just talked about, we've got to put that out of our head and say, what I really want to be is a holy of holies for God, where he and I can be bound together. And that's what we need and that's what we want. What do we know? What do we know? Hashem, may it be your will that our entire life is a Katorid offering to you. May you bless us, Hashem, and help us to become your holy of holies. In Yeshua's name, amen.